everybody, I'm Dr. Deb, and welcome to another episode of PTSD and Beyond. Welcome to the PTSD and Beyond podcast, where we give you insights into post-traumatic stress, trauma recovery, healing, and beyond. I'm Dr. Deb Lind, and in each episode, I have a conversation with a guest who will stimulate your mind, touch your heart, and connect with your spirit, and also give you a greater understanding of yourself and others on this healing and recovery journey walked by so many of us before, wounded healers with lived experience and heroes. Hopefully, we'll also provide a glimpse into possibilities and purpose, hope, and inspiration. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. One last thing, guys, before we dive into today's episode, if you'd like an ad-free experience and like early access to new episodes and special events, I want to let you know you can join us at patreon.com. That is patreon.com forward slash PTSD and beyond. All right, let's do it. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Deb here with PTSD and Beyond. Guess what? We've got Dr. Bernie Siegel coming back on with today's episode. Bernie shares with us a bunch of different stories with his life experiences, as well as why is it so important to connect with animals. Animals and children, what do they do and how's the value that they bring to our lives? He shares with us also that, you know, he always says there's no coincidences. And he talks a little bit about his mystical experiences with a butterfly and his wife, Bobby. I hope you enjoy today's episode, listening to Conversations with Bernie. Okay. One that I wrote a story about because a patient of mine had cancer. She said she was going out to the Hawaiian island of Kauai to straighten out her relationship with her mother before she died. And she went there and died there. A year later, my wife and I, Bobby and I, went out to give an outdoor lecture at the island of Kauai. Because, you know, the weather's so nice there in Hawaii, you could be outside, you don't have to be inside. We fly there, we get off the plane, go into a store, and there's a butterfly flying around in the store. And we're Is that all- right? everything so my wife puts her hand up she didn't go after it she just offered it her hand and it flew over and landed on her hand so we walked outside with it my wife holds her hand up expecting it to go away fly off and it doesn't it goes and sits on her shoulder and gets in the car so you know it it, and i said to my wife you know you got to brush it off your shoulder she brushed it, goes to the other shoulder. So I said, well, you know, we're not going to get rid of it. Let's go to the hotel. <laughs> went to the hotel. It gets out of the car on my wife's shoulder, goes into the hotel, up the elevator to our room. Is and, that right? Yeah, it's sitting in the kitchen of our suite. Um, and I finally said to my wife, it was getting late, and we had to go to sleep and start a full-day workshop the next day. I said, honey, you can't sleep with a butterfly. (laughs) That's the title of my article. You can't sleep with a butterfly. She said, all right, I'll go get rid of it. I'll go out on the porch and 
you know, brush it off my shoulder. She goes out, brushes it off, comes back in, says, okay, we can go to bed now. I said, look at your other shoulder. It flew over to the other side and came back in again. Oh, my gosh. Obviously, this is not just a butterfly. Mm-hmm. Got to be a dead patient, you know, like the mother or somebody who knows us. So I started talking to the butterfly like it was a person. I said, look, we have to go to bed and I can't sleep with you. We'll crush you. So if you'll hop off on the table, I'll give you something to drink and some food and you stay here while we go to sleep. And the butterfly did. Wow. The morning we get up, I said, this is what I want to do. I want you to get into a paper bag and I will take you to the workshop and open the bag and you fly out and I'll talk about you and our story then. Butterfly goes right into the bag. We drive there, come out. I tell the people about the butterfly, open the bag and it flies out. And then it flew over our heads from nine in the morning to five in the evening when I said the workshop is finished. And then the butterfly finally left and went off on its own. And I wrote this story called You Can't Sleep with a Butterfly. Let me see if I can get you the picture to show you. Yeah, for sure. A butterfly on Bobby's shoulder picture. Where is it? It's either, if it isn't in front of you, it's in the... uh, Sunroom. Um, and um, it, because it was just incredible that this butterfly, you know, you could speak to it, everything else. The other was that breed of butterfly has stayed connected with us. What kind of butterfly was it? Oh, I, I think it's a type of monarch, but I have pictures of butterflies and I think she, it's a type of monarch. Uh, It's yellow and black. But after we came home, I heard a knock on the window, you know, the uh, sliders in, in the house one morning. And I thought, oh, something is either in the house or crashing into the glass. What is it? I went over. There was a butterfly in the house. Is that right? I oh my gosh. gosh! I have no idea. Nothing was open, mm-hmm. so I opened the slider and it. it <laughs> um, this is my wife and the butterfly. If we can. Oh wow! Yeah. Look at that. It was with her all the time, and it's you know black and yellow, and uh, thanks, Bruce. Yes. And um, and since it died, other types of the same butterfly keep showing up. My wife died five years ago and they'll, you know, again, tap on the window, say hello to me, or if they're in the house, I'll put my hand up. They fly over land on it and I carry them outside. Oh, how beautiful. It's just unbelievable to have this kind of relationship with these wild butterflies. Uh, And I found one that was dead lying at our front door oh wow why it would be there except again i felt like a memorial to my wife it it came and lay down and died there uh, as a gift in a sense of life to her that's beautiful monarchs have a special meaning what's interesting is i've seen butterflies in minnesota at a time when you shouldn't be seeing a butterfly (laughs) 
you know, and it, it takes you back because I think to myself, okay, you know, uh, you're not supposed to be seeing this right now. So there's, there's definitely no coincidence, but yeah, it does. No, no you it rem- I talk to animals all the time because I've learned, they know, you know, what I'm communicating mm-hmm. with words or feeling. And, uh, it's amazing how they, you know, respond to you. And all you're doing is talking. <laughs> right, exactly. Sometimes I wonder, how does Max understand? I mean, I don't even have to be saying anything in particular. I could be getting ready for my day. And somehow, some it's like the energy he just senses. He knows, you know, and I look at him sometimes and I'm like, how do you know what I'm going to be doing in like five minutes from now? <laughs> you no, know? Consciousness, that is what we read from each other. It's what's in here that also is outside. So they, in a sense, can read what your thoughts are and respond to them. And that's, you know, that's why. I mean, I've had some animals that just took them everywhere. Because a lot of times, there's one cat I had named Miracle. I'll have to tell you about her, how she got that name. But people would say to me, how how can you bring her in here? Um, I would take her everywhere, sitting on my shoulder a lot of times. Um, And what they were amazed was, why does he just sit on your shoulder and behave herself? And I explained to them, that's her, that's miracle. Um, But it was incredible. And everybody fell in love with her. You know, I, I mean, as a doctor, I brought her into places you're not supposed to bring animals. You know, mm-hmm. the nursing homes, the hospital, everywhere. And uh, they all accepted her because when they saw the way she behaved, nobody got upset or worried about her. And how she got her name was from another pet. woman patient of mine said she had a dream. A cat appeared, said, my name is Miracle. This is how you should treat your cancer. And the woman wrote it all down, got her doctor to do it, and she was cured. Wow. So one of our kids walked in with a cat, uh, you know, a little while later, and he said he found her in a garage when he stopped to get gas that he brought her home. I said, her name is Miracle, and we'll adopt her. White. And um, I mean, she was so intelligent. She really turned out to be a miracle. As I said, you could talk to her, do anything you wanted with her and not worry about her. Oh, and the funniest thing of all, all these stories pop back in my head. As I said, I took her everywhere. And she really acted more like a dog than a cat, you know, in terms of how she got along with everybody. So the veterinarian in our town had a dog show one year. And I entered Miracle in the dog show. And we show up. You know, a cat and a dog, because I, I brought Furphy to the show, too, and Miracle. And the vet comes over and says, Ernie, this is a dog show. <laughs> I said, she thinks she's a dog, and I didn't want to disappoint her, so I brought her. He knew it was impossible to get me out of there after <laughs> I acted that way. And she, of course, turned out to be the hit of the dog show, because you imagine a cat in the center of a dog show with all these dogs, 200 pound dogs, little dogs, everybody coming over to smell her. And she would just sit there. You know, she wasn't that kind of a cat. She wasn't afraid of anything. So they'd come over, sniff her. 
and uh, walk away. And she became the hit of the show for everybody. The next year, this is the part I love, the veterinarian, because he didn't yell at me and curse me and tell me I ruined the show. The next year, he put up a sign again, dog show. The last line on the sign, those at the bottom said, for dogs only. And I <laughs> laughed like hell. I said, okay, I know that's for me. I won't come again. Um, but thank God he had a sense of humor. And uh, it, But it was amazing. That was her. She's just such a calm creature and so mature and lived to be 30. Oh, my gosh. And developed hypothyroidism. And I didn't want to give her, we had so many animals in the house, I didn't want to bring in radioactive, you know, iodine and things. And she had a reaction to the medication the vet told me to give her and died as a metabolic, you know, problem reaction. Because I don't know, she could have lived to be 50 for all I know, if, you know, we hadn't, because uh, at 30 to have a hyperthyroid. Wow. Uh, situation is bizarre but anyway uh so we have her pictures all over the house too uh because she was such a so re reassuring and again the intelligence of these animals when we went for rides in the car i mean one trip particularly i drove all the way to florida where one of our kids was started at night i didn't want to stop you know we had animals children everything and drove all the way to Florida. Miracle stays awake the whole trip, something like 16 or 17 hours. Wow. Next to me. <laughs> and if I got drowsy, up would come her, you know, claws and right into the <laughs> shoulder. Ugh. And I know she was saying, keep your eyes on the road. Mm -hmm. Built her a shelf on the driver's door. So she could just sit there next to me all the time. I mean, she could walk off and around the car, but uh, she would sit next to me and keep me alert. And and I developed cat scratch fever in my elbow because, <laughs> you know, shelf there. But uh, she, I mean, as I say, I can never explain her behavior in the sense she was so much like a person. And you could literally talk to her and she understood what you were saying because she was used to me and knew me and, you know, what I was telling her. I feel like both of my dogs were like that, too. And Max is now eight. But with both of them, you know, I talk with both of them just like I'm having a conversation with you. And it, it is. It's amazing how they it's like you can see it in their eyes, you know, and even if I'm working in the office too long. Max will come over here with a squeaky toy or, you know, he'll, he does this mm -mm -mm conversation, you know, and it's like, what, what is it that you need? Or he'll literally just sit right here and be at my feet or, or stare at me to, okay, you know what you need it. You need to take a break uh, this morning. I didn't have to leave the house, but I chose to leave the house. And I, you know, I do little things with him and we went and got uh, a treat for him. And the car and a drive through <laughs> So, yeah, it's all good. Oh, I know. The rabbit. I would often, yeah. I would often sit in the living room on the sofa and read, you know, medical journals, novels, whatever. 
And I noticed something, though. If I were sitting there for a long time, she'd come in, the rabbit, jump up on the sofa, grab the book in her teeth, and throw it on the floor or the magazine. <laughs> I realized she was just saying to me, hey, I want your attention. Stop all this reading books. Oh, yeah. And so I would stop and pet her and play with her, and then she'd let me start reading again. Yeah, but- Maxwell, he'll, he'll move the phone, actually. You know, there's one animal that I haven't been around that I'd like to be around, and uh, I'd want to do it in a natural habitat, so not where, you know, they're in like a, a school or something like that, but are dolphins. Have you ever swam with dolphins or been around dolphins? I can't remember. Um, it, I'm pretty sure I have, but I can't remember that episode. We've had turtles, uh, skunks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you name it, you know, we've had it here and they're all walking around. And the funny part I used to get a kick out of people would come into our house and say, I saw a mouse in your living room. I said, yeah, it's a, <laughs> what are you about? a pet, <laughs> you know, you know, but what? we have so many field crazy, mice, crazy oh. creatures running around. Yep. Oh, back. yeah. Another one that was funny. We had one of the kids was into reptiles, so we had all kinds of snakes. You know, snakes and other creatures. I put a dead tree in his room, so they all lived in that. But th- whenever the snake got away, it always went to our daughter's room. We have four boys, one girl. It was like the snake knew that she would go nuts with a snake in her room. You'd hear it screaming, "Oh, there's a snake in my room." And then all the boys say, oh, Carolyn found the snake. Because one day the snake disappeared and nobody could find it. And then about five days later, we heard Carolyn screaming, oh, there's a snake in my room. And everybody was so good. Carolyn found the snake. And then the boys bought a fake snake. Oh, no. To torture her. I was just going to say, so the brothers were torturing the sister with the fake snake. And they would put it outside her door and she'd open the door and shriek. And then she, after a while, she realized it's a fake and she'd pick it up and just put it back in their room. Um, but one day, the a real snake got away and Carolyn opened her door and saw the real snake, which looked like the fake. So she picked it up. And then we <laughs> heard this shriek again, the four boys, oh, Carolyn found our lost snake because they knew if she was shrieking, it had gone to her room. But oh my gosh. Snakes knew to torture her, that it didn't upset the boys. But let me tell you something. Uh, all these stories keep going through my head about the relationship. We had also lots of birds, ducks and geese and everything, that instead of letting them hatch outside, we'd bring the eggs in, put them in a fish tank, and keep them warm and let them hatch in the house. So I realized they were imprinting on our children because they popped out of an egg. Who did they see? One of our kids, not their real parents. And after we did this, like through a whole summer, started doing it, fall came, school bus shows up. Our kids start walking down the driveway to get on the bus. And who's going with them? All of the ducks and geese. Oh, my gosh. They thought our kids were their parents from their hatching experience. 
and they went down. The kids would climb up the steps of the bus and they would jump up into the bus. Well, thank God the drivers didn't get mad at me. They laughed and, you know, pushed them all off again. But it became a joke at the school that our ducks and geese wanted to go to school with our kids. But what it really touched was their attention to each other and love. The ducks and geese are trying to go with their, you know, parents, mm-hmm. their loved ones. Yep. When I would take some of them down to where my folks lived, they lived on a lake and, you know, it got crazy at our house. You couldn't keep all these creatures. So I would take them down and dump them into her lake. And the first time I did it, I got a call from my mother. Bernie, what is it, Mom? I have a question. What is it? Why do the ducks and geese come out of the lake and walk half a mile up to the road Every time they see a school bus. Oh, wow. My, you're breaking my heart. They're looking for our children. And I explained to her. But boy, it showed you what a connection had been created between all of them. Oh, yeah. I can tell you, too, that uh, Max is, you know, like he's always with me. But when the kids are around, you know, it's like, okay, see ya. (laughs) You know, as an used to call me and say, we have a, uh, you know, exotic pet. These people got it. They don't want it anymore. Can you take it? And I would always say, all right, we'll take it. Because we acted like a rescue shelter, mm-hmm. five kids. And I had fencing in our, you know, property. I mean, literally from the ducks and geese and goats. Oh, to wow. The dogs and cats and furry creatures something called the Kinkajou and uh, different exotic, you know, creatures. And I always found it was crazy when I had to call the police and couldn't find them, you know, because, but the police knew we were doing it out of love and they never reported me for breaking zoning laws, which we were doing. I learned from my neighbors. I mean, they weren't mad at me either, but they told me you're breaking all the zoning laws, but nobody ever said we're terrible people what are we doing they all enjoyed the animals being there that's beautiful we have um there's a a, when i was talking about where to go see the eagles at there's a farm there that has some chickens and uh, a couple weeks ago my kids and i spent volunteering at a local farm and uh, there were uh, there was a new puppy uh there was uh, chickens Chickens, we had to take care of the chickens and then also sheep. And to have my kids actually experience what it was like to, you know, mm. just do some work around the farm, but to to be with the animals, yeah. you know, it wasn't behind any fences. I mean, we were in each pen and uh, it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I've been around animals on farms that way, but my kids, that was the first time. And, you know, we were able to leave the farm with, uh, you know, some eggs and some right. other things. and. There's just something about really connecting with the earth and the animals. We haven't done any harvesting of honey or um, I've done, you know, maple tree tapping to get the sap and make syrup. But I've always just thought, you know, when you when you get the things that you grow organically and naturally, you just have a better appreciation, especially with the animals and with the wool. I can tell you right now that one of my kids is all about everything wool. 
It's like they've changed since we were on the farm. They just like, nope, I don't want to buy that. It's not wool. I want it to last for a long time and it's really soft. And, and um, yeah, so. Other thing I found when I talked to you before about consciousness, I have an angel. That's a whole different thing named George. Uh, he saved my life when I was choking on a toy when I was three and a half years old. And he's always been with me. I mean, that's a whole program, you know, what we can do. But he often would say to me, as I'd step out of the house in the morning, go to the animal shelter. Every time I went after hearing his voice, I'd walk in and there'd be a special dog there. You know, sitting by the door where they shouldn't be. I'd say, mm -hmm. what's his name? And the name was always meaningful. Be like, my father's name was Simon. They'd say, Simon. I'd say, all right, I'm taking him home. Um, in a past life, I was an Irish knight. And they had an Irish, oh, what do you call those big dogs? Um, he was named Brady. Um, like Alaskan. Um, oh. a, a St. Bernard? Well, no, it's, it's a big. A Mastiff? No, I forgot. The, I don't know why that name popped out of my head. The, uh, the breed of dog, a large dog. Yeah, well, what do we have up in Alaska? What do you call them? The, husky? Yeah, husky. So there's great big husky, and they said his name is Brady. I said, I'll take him home. That was my name and past oh. life. Wow. I, I can't tell you. It was incredible. So, so if I heard the voice, I went, and they always had that name. After a while, I began to think, now they were using me. <laughs> they knew if, if he came in and said, what's his name? And they said, Simon, which was my father's name, I would take it home. Mm. So then I stopped doing that because <laughs> I thought, I don't know if I can trust them. They get me to take every creature here, you know. <laughs> right. They're just somehow changing the name. That's so funny because uh, I've already mentioned that. Yes, I'd like to get, I'd like to have another, right. another. That, that, yes. Uh, Brady, he came in the house. He was so big. After he was there a few minutes, my wife said, honey, he's been in every room in the house. He's running around and scaring the wits out of everybody. You can't keep him here. So I figured I'd run a test. If I could put him out in our fenced in front yard and he couldn't squeeze in the pet door, then I could separate them. But he spent about half an hour squeezing back through this little bed door to get back in the house. So I took him back to the shelter. And of course, then there was some other, you know, animal there with a special name that I took home. So we just switched. But um, I just found it was amazing how you got this mystical message to go to the shelter. And there was always somebody there and almost always they'd say oh he just came this morning he just got here and i knew that was the message also mm -hmm. and uh my angel george and he's been seen by other people it's really, really? experience yeah because when i began lecturing widely i realized sometimes that you know you take an outline with you and you don't follow it you can just keep talking. Yep. And after one talk, a woman came up and said, there was a man standing in front of you for the entire lecture, so I drew his picture for you. 
And another time I spoke at a Christian funeral and a healer named Alga Worrell has written many mystical, you know, books about her experiences. After the funeral, she came over to me as people were leaving and said, Bernie, are you Jewish? I said, what are you asking me that for? She said, oh, there's a rabbi standing next to you. And she described George in total detail. Wow. That, that was something from the time she was a kid. She was a mystical individual. Her parents used to wonder what's going on. Is she nuts? Because she would see things uh, like they walked into a house one day. This is a perfect example. And she said, oh, who's that old lady sitting on the sofa? They said, there's no old lady sitting on the sofa. And she described the lady. And her parents said, oh, that's grandma. This was her house. She died. So when she was doing that her whole life, you couldn't deny what she was seeing and saying. Right. Yeah. And she and her husband, Alga, I mean, uh, Alga and Ambrose Worrell, W-O-R-R-A-L-L, you know, wrote some books about their experience. And I found that when you quieted your mind, that's when things like that happen. And uh, I really have felt that George has done more and even saved my life when I fell off the roof of the house. A wooden ladder rotted and broke as I got off the roof. Wow. And I'm falling thinking, you could die. There's no sense in getting upset and screaming. Just go. And I fell and landed on my feet, which there's no explanation for. It was like somebody took me and put me down. I couldn't keep my balance and I because I really hit hard and, you know, toppled over. But I didn't end up in an emergency room or going anywhere. I mean, there was no. And I know it's George hanging around and taking care of me. And it's amazing. And then when you have these mystical people come up and tell you, you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, it just changes your view of life. That's why I I get involved with the INs group, you know, the near death stuff. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. I'm used to all this because when I started helping cancer patients and talking about self-healing and emotions and all kinds of things, how changing your life changed your body. And I was called the controversial Dr. Siegel. Yeah. That was by nice people. Others (laughs) called me worse things. You know, that you're crazy, you're crazy, you're crazy. And um, all I know is I just kept doing it because, and I tell this to people all the time, if you have a mystical event in your life, tell everybody about it. They may say you're nuts, but what will happen? Somebody who hears you, who has had a mystical experience, will come to you and talk to you. Mm -hmm. And then you have a new friend who you can share things with. And that's what happened to me at the hospital. Everybody's patients would page me. Can I talk to you? Everybody thinks I'm crazy. You know, it's like, but I know you're crazy. So can you come and talk to me? (laughs) And I'd hear, you know, mystical stories. Um, One lady I always talk about, she had a heart lung transplant and told me that the person who donated the heart and lung was talking to her in her dreams. And he gave her a name. He said, we're together forever. She wrote a book about it. Oh, wow. 
once he gave her his name, we were able to look up the obituary in the state of Connecticut. And her, his parents said, yes, yes, you're the recipient. And she said, and I rode a motorcycle the other day. And she said, that's the first time in my life I ever want to do that. And they said, yes, he loved riding motorcycles and died in an accident. Oh, wow. That says something about cellular memory, too, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't deny things that people experience and share with me. You know, I'm not saying to patients, oh, that's crazy, because I know doctors would do. That's crazy. I can't believe that. I can't. I don't know. Yeah. When I would speak to doctors, that's the response I'd get. You know, what journal was that in? What research? What? Yeah, right. Yeah. Just criticize everything. And now there are so many books. I'm even looking at what's on my desk as I interview people. Um, I mean, just two quick ones. Medical intuition. Awaken your power within. Um, Is that by Gerber? Recipes for a Sacred Life, which, no, no, they're just by other people. But, uh, I mean, they're piled all around me. Mm-hmm. All mystical experiences that people have had. My dad's day of passing, uh, I was driving, and I saw my maiden name, my maiden last name, like boom, 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 three different vehicles. And then I also saw a car, I kid you not, I took a picture of this. Yes, I'm admitting that I'm driving. I was at a light, though. Don't get me wrong. I was stopped. So it wasn't like I was driving. But I I was at a red light. And I looked over to the van. It was a Comcast cable television van. And it had my, my dad's initials. And then also the 313, which is the area code of Detroit. And that's where I'm from originally. And there I am at a red light with a Comcast, you know, van. With my dad's initials, on, but there, well, we there had are a lot of shared experiences. My father was American Broadcasting Company, so we got one of the first TV sets in our neighborhood, you know. And then everybody at night would come to our room. Our whole—I mean, we were in an apartment house, not a—you know—so we just had a few rooms there, and our living room would fill up with all the neighbors who wanted to watch television. It was ridiculous until they were able to get their own. <laughs> right. Um, it, the thing, I'm glad you brought that up about, you know, the mystical part. My wife died five years ago. I had a severe pain. She died at night. And uh, in my heart, it was like somebody literally stuck a knife into me. And she was born on 9-9. Nine months later, my heartbeat went irregular and still not back to normal, even though she died five years ago. Um, but I knew I had a broken heart. But the thing that often was, like you're saying, was so mystical. I went to the emergency room when I first had the irregular beat. And I walk in and I hear a man yell, put him in room nine. So I know, oh, my wife's here and watching over me. We can't find a room for you tonight. You have to wait till tomorrow. Made no sense to me. I mean, this is a Yale, big hospital, et cetera. Next day, my room number was 819. 
which comes out to 99 again. Then they give me my identification number. Oh, I have to show you how I keep them. Um, oh, yeah. Because of going to the hospital. Now, here, this is my wife's member is 99. Mm-hmm. What identifies Bernie Siegel at the hospital? Three, eight, nine, and eight is a new beginning. Because every religion has seven days in the week, and then you start again. Three, eight, nine, three, nine, six, six. You got two threes, two sixes, and two nines. So everything adds up to nine. And everybody at the hospital began to get annoyed with me because every time they would do something, I'd show them everything adds up to nine. And they'd you know, stop bothering us. Yes, we know everything adds up to nine. <laughs> yeah, I would be one of those people too that would probably annoy everybody. <laughs> Which is amazing. She uses our radio on the TV in the bedroom because you have the electric, you know, right. numbers, the light numbers. And when I get a feeling, open your eyes and look, the numbers always add up to nine. It is incredible. And it's not just nine. You know, we're married on 7-Eleven. Uh, my birth date is 1014. I mean, it, it, it's, and you know how electric clock, how the numbers are always shifting and changing. Right. And it can't be a coincidence. Right. Things that happen are just beyond explanation. That we can explain right yeah, now. I, at I, some point, we will be. Mm-hmm. I'm lying in bed sleeping. Get up and look at the clock. And boom. Uh, you know, it's my wife. And then we were married on the 11th. I, I found, and I'm glad she stopped this, a dime and a penny everywhere. Under the mattress, even, on our bed. Oh, wow. I the mattress up one day. And there were dimes and pennies under the mattress which have no way of explaining. So I know when I find things that she's hanging around, keeping in touch. Oh, yeah. I love it when the appliances will start doing stuff and no one's doing anything. And the kids will ask me, because we do, we sit at the kitchen table <laughs> when the light goes on and no one's near it, right? And we do, we'll ask, okay, so who is it? Grandpa's at you. One of the kids will say, Grandpa's at you. <laughs> and we go through the... We go through the list of relatives until until it flickers on and off, you know. And we the other thing too is my house is uh like four houses away from a Native American uh burial ground. And so I've often said to the kids that just because it's there doesn't mean that we're our house rests, they you know, there weren't any ceremonies, right? Um, and I know because we are in the Dakotas and then also there were some Winnebagos. Uh, meaning like Native American from the um, tribe of the Winnebago that were here in Minnesota and where I live after the Dakotas were here and then they moved down to Iowa. So we never know. We never know who's actually who's actually visiting. Um, but that that is a frequent occurrence in our house. And so I think that there's also something about people listening. We, we are we are assisted by our ancestors. And I t- I have a I say an altar here in my office, but um, I have all my relatives with me. They're always with us. And 
I talk to them every day, <laughs> you know, and then also at the kitchen sink where I can look out at where the uh, yeah. you know, burial ground is to, you know, honor the people of this land. And um, yeah, they're always around. I did a lot with Lither Scuba Ross. Oh, yeah. Young. I mean, you know, the things that they said decades ago are what I'm getting criticized for now, not knowing they had already said them. You know, but it's who the audience is, who's listening. Right. Uh, I find that that's why medical education is not an education. It's about diseases. It's not about people. Um, and, and that's the saddest part. I mean, let me just mention this one thing, because I had almost 100 medical students in an auditorium. I was speaking to them. They had invited me. I said, everybody here, draw a picture of yourself working as a doctor. And this was the first time I'd ever done that. And it blew me away. Only one picture had a patient in it. Wow. He was helping her by handing her a tissue. Wow. All the others had the student, you know, as a doctor sitting behind a desk with a diploma on the wall behind them saying, you know, you're a doctor, but no patient. And uh, I keep sending little letters and emails to various uh, medical schools and others saying, when people apply to your school, tell them to include a drawing of themselves working as a doctor with the application. And uh, I don't think any school has ever done it. Only once I got a response saying, that's an interesting idea. But <laughs> maybe they think about it if they saw all these they want to be doctors and they don't show any patients. Yeah. Right. I feel that way about peer support uh, in the sense that this is what I believe that peer support, why it makes such a difference is because we're connecting with people. Well, the therapy is the connection through the support. If you know what I mean, not just here's what you should do and take this and do this. Correct. A connection that becomes a therapy. Right. I do a lot of work with drawings and words, too. If you ever have somebody with a problem, say, what word would you use to describe your problem? Mm -hmm. And say to them, what is there in your life that fits that word that you need to eliminate? And boy, right. the eyes pop out of their head. Yeah. My marriage. My parents committed suicide. See, she said failure. Because she said, my body failed to have cancer. I said, no, your life. Oh, my parents committed suicide when I was a child. So I must have been a failure as a child. And the answers I get are amazing. Um, and, and, you know, people's eyes pop open. And a lot of times they'll say thank you and turn and leave the office because they know, like the lady whose marriage was the pressure. Hmm. Instead of being admitted to the hospital, the nurse said, oh, she's going home to straighten out her marriage. <laughs> and uh, those are the things that people are grateful to you for. Right. Yeah. yeah and, I, just... and even with treatment, that if you draw the devil giving me poison as your chemotherapy, yeah. you're going to have every side effect in the book. Right. Draw it as a gift from God. And right. I don't stop. People have done that. They don't have any side effect at all. My wife is quite incredible, mind, body stuff. 
I knew which day every one of our children would be born. And that include three and then twins. Wow. <laughs> and I mean that literally because the numbers always related back. Example, my wife born ninth, I'm born 14th. First son born the 23rd, same month as my wife. And it went on and on. The second one was twice our wedding day. Born married 11th, he's born on the 22nd. And it went on with each one. And the one that was the funniest was, first of all, my wife didn't want to try again after having three boys. Because she said, if it's another boy, I'm not coming home. Not <laughs> I said, try once more. And then she learned she's going to have twins. And she said, definitely, if it's two more boys, I'm not coming home. <laughs> one was a girl. But um, I knew when they were going to be born, literally. Because she said to me, I won't be in the hospital on Christmas. When were they born? The next day. Oh, wow. There but you go. She said that to me in the house. I won't be in the hospital on Christmas. <laughs> oh, that's my wife. She'll be, she'll wait till the next day and then go in and have the twins. Oh, that's great. And that's I love when, that. You know, mind, body, and you have a lot of power over all those things. Have you seen some of the new research that's come out about the, the brain gut? Uh, correlation about the um the the microbes I think it's called in yeah, in your yeah I don't remember the details but I remember reading yeah yeah about I you know what I just saw um I, I you know what I have a, an article that was I emailed it to myself so I can email it to you and in a nutshell it talks about I don't say they're phalanges but they're like fibers in the lining of your stomach and how they communicate to your brain and so there's another correlation about um you know like intuition and you know paying attention to i can tell you right now if i meet somebody that's why i work with dreams and drawings because that's how your body speaks not with all the words right things yeah and so how uh, do you how do you help people interpret images then in words oh, oh i forgot the name of the person who first did this but uh, you Oh, the Secret World of Drawings. I can't remember the. Uh, I can't remember who the person who wrote that book is. The Secret World of Drawings, and the colors have meaning. Yep. Purple, spiritual. Red is emotion. You know, and so forth and so on. So when people did drawings, I could interpret it, tell them what was the good things, the bad things. And I did a lot of children's surgery and kids didn't worry about doing drawings. It wasn't, well, what if I don't do it right? I'm not an artist. Mm -hmm. Happy to get a box of crayons and draw pictures. And then I could show it to their parents. One that I still have hanging in the house. See, numbers were meaningful too, as we talked about. But uh, this child had cancer. Mother was going everywhere trying to get a treatment. I finally said to her, because the child drew a purple balloon with her name in it, spiritual color. I said, she's ready to go. Stop running all over the planet, dragging her around, trying to find, you know, a miracle. Just take her home and love her. And I said, there are eight flowers in the picture, which means something, but I, I can't interpret it. She took her home. Eight days later, I got a phone call. Bernie, 
Yeah. Amber woke up today, said, Mom, I'm dying today as a gift to you to free you from all your trouble. That was her mother's birthday. Oh, my gosh. Dying today is a gift to you. But what a difference it made to the mother, you know, to have that kind of experience rather than dragging her around the world and not being able to cure her and so forth. Um, so I know, and uh, you can accomplish a lot more with the kids than you can with the adults because the kids would believe me. Our kids used to get mad at me when they'd hear me say, oh, I lied to the kids all the time. Dad, why are you lying for their benefit? Yeah. My favorite lie was I'd come in with an alcohol sponge and say, oh, you're really lucky. I got a new alcohol sponge invention. It numbs your skin and cleans it too so you won't feel any needles. And the kids would say to me, why don't the other doctors do that? Mm -hmm. They were hypnotized by that simple sentence. You know, yeah. it's going to numb your skin. Occasionally, I would have a kid say, I felt it, but it wasn't, you know, oh, that was terrible. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. They were mad at all the other doctors for not using my sponge. <laughs> yeah. Your special sponge. I love, I love kids. I love working with kids. What the mind can do. Mm -hmm. you, know, you have people wake up from major surgery and have no pain. Because, oh, and one other mystical thing, and I know it must have been due to my angel. One of the patients I was operating on, the anesthesiologist said, Bernie, his heart has stopped and I cannot get it going. I'm going to have them come and take him to the morgue. He's still lying on the table. And something came into me, which I've never done. <laughs> I yelled out loud, Marty. It's not your time yet. Come on back. Everybody looks at me like I'm nuts. And his heart started beating again. And wow. he completely recovered. And what I never forget is the anesthesiologist saying, I like working with you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I was known as crazy. But, boy, it opened everybody's mind to see. Because I really have no idea why I shouted that out. Come on back. It's not your time yet. But something said to me, he's still here. You know, he's not dead. Yeah. And it was my angel who did that. Yeah. Where do you think we're going to go in the future? I mean, I we keep having, what I mean by that is we keep having like these technology advances and virtual reality. And there's like ketamine therapy and for um, well, using from. As we begin to understand life it'll become, you know, more acceptable, the power that we have within our body. I mean, you think about it. If I cut you open, you heal. How the hell does it know how to do that, you know? Right. Yeah, I I, I don't know if you have more time, but if we can yeah. finish up in a few minutes. But in Solzhenitsyn's book, Cancer Ward, it's very interesting what he says. See, you get well when you're not supposed to. And what does the doctor say? Oh, you had a spontaneous remission. Now I learned that's pretty stupid. If you don't die when you're supposed to, I say to you, how come you didn't die when you were supposed to? And then you tell me what you did. I mean, one simple story that was really funny. 
because I've had so many. The lawyer who quits and starts playing a violin, which he wanted to do, but his parents wouldn't let him, and gets a job at an orchestra and his cancer disappears. The gentleman who said, I'm going to go to Colorado to die in the mountains. It's beautiful there. I said to the family, don't forget to call me for the funeral. A year goes by, which is way past how he, much he was expected to live. He answered the phone. And I never forget this wonderful statement. Bernie, it was so beautiful here. I forgot to die. You know? <laughs> And so, yeah, I, I have a collection of all these stories which have changed people's beliefs and hospitals' behavior and everything else because all these people were expected to die and didn't. Yep. So I think we need to, but you see, if you take away hope, you're killing a lot of people too. Yeah. No, if no, you can't. You'll never die. Well, see, women live longer with the same cancers than men. So all these things play into how we deal with immune function and everything else. Yep. I mean, these are quotes from people. I have six kids. I can't die till they're all married and out of the house. She was supposed to die in a year or two. Again, decades later, her sixth kid married and left home and she died. They, and, uh, for the men, it's very hard to have relationships because if they can't work, what's the point of living? I mean, that's these are statements in my office. Your wife and three children are sitting next to you. And he said, what's the point of living? I can't work anymore. I said, turn your head to the left. Yeah. There's some good reasons. Right. And it was like I'd hit him in the head with a mallet. Mm -hmm. You know, it's about relationships. So. Those are things I know. Why do you think it's so hard for people to, to you know, have that awareness? Yeah. Why does it have to take a catastrophic event like cancer? And you know what? There are people who've had cancer that still haven't gotten their life together. Right. So why? It's, why? Why? Well, when you're not loved by your parents, that's the greatest evil and toxin in the world. A group of Harvard students were asked, did your parents love you? If they said no, 95% had suffered a major illness by middle age. If they said yes, 24% had. Wow. So, what if, you, what if you had one parent that loved you and one parent that didn't? Then where do you fall in? Well, it, it again depends on which one has the greater effect. I think the one, if she or he loved you enough, could make all the difference. Yep, I agree with that too. The lack of love, yeah. Mm -hmm. I had parents who used to drive me crazy because, but they, they were therapists. I didn't know that as a kid. Well, I had a horrible day at school today. Everything went wrong. God is redirecting you. Something good will come of this. Ma, did you hear what I said? <laughs> You'd come home. Oh, what was the other one? Yeah, Ma, I have to make a decision. I have several options to choose from. Do what makes you happy. Ma, aren't you going to help me decide? Do what makes you happy. So I had to figure out what made me happy. See? Mm -hmm. And I learned that sometimes when things went wrong, the end result was good. 
Right. Yeah. You know, learning from mistakes. uh, You could say you get a flat tire, but who comes? Yeah. This one guy literally happened. He was fired from his job. His car broke down. He's on the street with no help. And the guy pulls up and says, do you need something? He said, yeah, my car broke down. And so he said, all right, come on. I'll take you to the garage. They can come and get your car. And on the way, he explained, you know, to him that he was fired that day and it's been a mess. And what kind of work do you do? He tells the guy and the guy says, oh, I'm looking for somebody who does that. So he hires him. So he gets fired. His car breaks down and he's got a new job. You know, that's, uh, that's amazing. I love it. Okay. I call things labor pains. You see, it, oh my God, it's hilarious through them. They don't hurt as much. And there's a good result. I love it. That's awesome. That's good. I'll take three living in your heart and amazing things happen. That's right. Keep living in your heart. And amazing things will happen. I love it. Thanks for spending some time with me today. It's awesome. I'm take a rest now. Okay. You take a rest now. All right. All right, Bernie. Bye-bye, dear. Thank you. Take care. Okay. We'll talk later. All right. Bye. All right. We'll see ya.